This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and it is Friday, which means you're listening to episode six of The Jackpod. For the man whose introduction needs neither filigree nor embellishment, we're talking with On Point news analyst Jack Beatty and getting his unique analysis that enriches our understanding of the world. Hello, Mr. Beatty. Hello, Magna. You see, I use the word filigree in order to try and keep up with your massive vocabulary, Jack. Now, you know, actually, before we get started, Jack, a lot of folks have been telling us that the weekly Jackpod is their absolute favorite thing in the On Point podcast feed. What do you think about that? Yeah, and that's only cost me $1,500 in bribes, so that's pretty good. (laughs) That's a lot cheaper than I thought. Good deal. It's true. (laughs) Okay. Well, speaking of unsavory uh, practices, what is your one-word summary for today's topic? Cacistocracy. Government by the worst. Cacistocracy. Okay. Now, in order to help explain what you're talking about, you told us to uh, find a very particular piece of tape. And I've got it here, Jack. Um, It's from what's called The Benny Show, which is run by Benny Johnson. He's a right-wing political commentator and chief creative officer at the conservative group Turning Point USA. And this is from the September 29th edition of The Benny Show, streamed on YouTube. Mike, I've never called for lava to rain down from the heavens. But maybe upon Washington, D.C., would you be that sweet red-hot lava for us? I've never been called sweet, and you call me sweet ginger. So I I think I meant then, during my three-week reign of terror as Trump (laughs) acting attorney general, before I get chased out of town with my Trump pardon, I will rain hell on Washington, D.C. We've talked about this, Ben. I have five lists uh, ready to go, and they're growing. List number one, we're going to fire. We're going to fire a lot of people in the executive branch in the deep state. Number two, we're going to indict. We're going to indict Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and James Biden and every other scumball, sleazeball Biden, except for the five-year-old granddaughter who they refused to acknowledge uh, uh, for five years until the political pressure got to Joe Biden. Number three, we're going to deport. We're going to deport a lot of people, 10 million people and growing, uh, anchor babies, their parents, their grandparents, We're going to put kids in cages. It's going to be glorious. We're going to detain a lot of people in the D.C. Gulag uh, and Gitmo. And uh, list number five, I'm going to recommend a lot of pardons. Every January 6th defendant uh, is going to get a pardon, especially my hero, Horn Man. Uh, He is definitely at the top of the pardon list. Jack, (laughs) that's Mike Davis. Uh, Who is he? Well, he's a connected Republican lawyer who has worked for Senator Grassley on the Judiciary Committee, who worked for Speaker Gingrich back in the day. Uh, it And, you know, I can hear someone saying, Jack, this is a caricature. Trump would never appoint a palooka like that. No? Well, according to Tim Miller, who's a longtime Republican political operative, now works for the Bulwark, frequent guest on our show, he he says it would be nice uh, if uh, the Mike Davises of the world were not going to people the Trump administration. But alas, this is the caliber of person Trump will be looking for. Uh, A second objection would be, oh, the Senate would never confirm someone with these views and like this. But that doesn't matter. 
Trump can appoint people and have them acting for a year. Trump has said, I love acting because they do whatever I want. So uh, the Mike Davises of the world are apt to be the kind of people Trump will uh, put in his cacistocracy government uh, by the worst. Oh, my gosh. So do you mind if I just add a little bit um, of more of what Tim Miller said, Jack? Because uh, you had mentioned him before, and I looked at a piece that he wrote. We probably were looking at the same piece uh, in The Bulwark. And uh, to add some detail, Tim Miller says, Mike Davis is not some random caddy whom Donald Trump drummed up at Bedminster <laughs> to issue foreign policy decrees via tweet. Um he points out, as you say, Jack, he's a guy who's had serious jobs for the Bush DOJ, Newt Gingrich, and then judge, now Justice Neil Gorsuch. He was chief counsel for Senator Chuck Grassley when Grassley was the Senate Judiciary Chairman. And Davis says he oversaw the floor votes for 278 judicial nominees, including the confirmations of Justice Brett Kavanaugh. So, it, Jack, it sounds like even though these two guys in that Benny Johnson tape were giggling through the idea of putting kids in cages and, quote, how glorious would that be? We should take him seriously. Yes, we should take him both literally and seriously, as the cliche goes about Trump. And, you know, the reason is that in order to carry out Trump's policies, he needs people like that. What are those policies? Well, in speeches and campaign videos, Trump who, as we recall, there was no Republican platform in 2020. The platform was whatever Trump wants to do. Now there's a platform. It's the Trump retribution agenda. And in speeches, campaign videos, he's done things like he's called for the military to participate in uh, large-scale deportation of undocumented uh, immigrants. He uh, has talked about ordering the National Guard into cities with high crime rates, whether the local mayor or governor want it or not. He's talking about he's talked about prosecuting Californians who protect minors coming into the state for gender affirming treatment. Uh, he's he's talked about appointing a special prosecutor to go after his political appoint, uh, opponents, especially Biden. And, of course, he's talked about a massive purge of the civil service, perhaps uh, 50,000 converting as many as 50,000 government employees who are now protected by civil service uh, regulations to turn them into employees at will, at Trump's will. He wants to build a political machine. In order to do these things, he needs people who are unscrupulous and who will do whatever he, he, he says. And, you know, you say, well, he can't do some of these things. They're illegal. You have to remember, Trump is protected from indictment uh, or criminal prosecution so long as he's president. There's mm. that Justice Department memo that says you can't do this to a president. That takes care of him in office. After the office, if he's committed criminal offenses, as he's almost certain to do, uh, he can pardon himself and all the little Trumps, the hundreds of, of, uh, of uh, apparatchiks who've done his uh, impulsive will. Oh, Jack, so... You know, the fulfillment of a cacistocracy's wildest dreams require not only the people that you mentioned that have to be installed in uh, 
uh, critical positions. But also it seems as if then there has to be sort of some institutional turning, right? Some institutional capture. Now, how how does that happen? Are there other groups that need to be involved? Because, you know, ideally, uh, let's say some of the things that a Mike Davis Justice Department would want to achieve might be, you know, um, curbed by other people in the judicial system in this country. Well, in fact, we had something like that, a model exactly of what you are saying the president wanted to do something crazy and uh, political appoint and appointees in the Justice Department said, no. What happened was Trump wanted to appoint Jeffrey Clark, this, this relatively low-ranked low Justice Department uh, person in charge of uh, prosecuting polluters. He wanted to make uh, Clark attorney general. And uh, in a sort of round robin, the scores of U.S. attorneys said, we will uh, uh, resign en masse if you do this. And there'll be a huge uh, scandal and it won't work. Uh, and so Trump backed off. But in a second Trump administration, those U.S. attorneys are all going to be vetted by him and, and also by the Heritage Foundation, which is deeply involved in a parallel uh, preparation for the Trump cac cacistocracy under a multi-million dollar project called Project T 2025. They have uh, done tutelages, done uh, lectures, prepared a cadre of what they call conservative warriors to serve in each department and agency and to look for any flicker of disloyalty to Trump and to under the new rules, get rid of that person. So the point is, <laughs> there may there would be no institutional barrier as as there was to the to the uh, the uh, you know elevation of Jeffrey Clark in a second Trump administration. Do you know what's so fascinating is that um, the Heritage Foundation is very 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 transparent about its desires. Right? I'm just looking right at the Heritage Foundation's. Uh, website right now, and there's a lot of uh, articles that they have um, about Project 2025, as you're mentioning, uh, Jack, and um, lots of people on the website saying, uh, from the moment Heritage announced this initiative 18 months ago, we recognize the importance of bringing together conservative allies with a common goal to take back our country from the radical left by developing a robust governing agenda and the right people to implement it. They say they have 75 organizations on board. And then there's another fascinating article, uh, Jack, again. This was just from a, just right on the Heritage Foundation's website. And it's headlined, The Left is Right to Fear, Our Plan to Gut the Federal Bureaucracy. Now, what I've heard from um, supporters of this Project 2025, Jack, is that there's nothing illegal about it. It's just a very transparent um, plan for transition uh, between administrations and um, a sensible use of the existing power of the executive. What do you think about that? Well, yes, they have a whole theory about the unitary executive that gives the president power to essentially overrule and control the, quote, independent uh, uh, agencies of government, perhaps even including the Federal Reserve, uh, but certainly including the FCC, which would be bad news for those TV 
uh, for uh, NBC and MSNBC and CNN or anybody who wants to criticize uh, Trump because he would have control over their licensure. Uh, yes, this is it's all very legal that what they want to do. Uh, and 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 they, they have a precedent for it. In 1980, they provide they came up with a mandate for leadership for the Reagan administration, and it became a large part of the program of the of the Reagan administration. And they're uh, and and they're ambitious uh, to do that again. And you know, uh, not only to find personnel and to change policies, but to uh, in in uh, you know the regular bureaucracy, but especially to go after uh, the environmental protections. They are, after all, funded to a good extent by the Koch brothers, by Philip Morris. And by other uh, polluters and poisoners of uh, the American air and American lungs. And uh, they have a program essentially to gut the EPA uh, and, uh, and, and, and simply reverse every Biden administration move to uh, contain the threat of global warming. So the Heritage 2025 plan is really a sort of threat to the survival of the planet. Mm. Now, Jack... <laughs> I'm pausing here because I'm just trying to survey my own meager historical knowledge. So maybe I'll just ask you to uh, to fill in the considerable blanks I have. But I, I am still thinking about that Mike Davis tape that you had us play earlier. Um, not only is it gleeful, it's specific, right? In terms of the, he's got this list of five things that he would do if he became uh, acting attorney general. And I wonder if, you know, in the past, of course, Different, you know, uh, administrations prior to coming in have always had their plans of what they would like to change and the people that they would like to put into specific um, positions. But there's something about the um, overtness of the essentially radical revolution that Davis is talking about that surprises me. I mean, what does it tell you about the state of our democracy or our politics, that things like this are just said with no significant pushback from members of that person's own party? Well, Donald Trump has defined uh, craziness down. <laughs> it is just as it is. It, you can't you can't compete with him. Uh, on that on that uh, axis. And it, it encourages the same sort of um, wild and uh, implicitly violent and even vile comments by his uh, by people who would who would uh, who would follow him you know uh, under under hitler they had a thing called working toward the fuhrer it, the fuhrer didn't have to give directions people would go you know they would they would to show they were loyal they would kill more Jews or imprison more gay people or, you know, in other words, they'd go beyond the quotas just to show they were working toward what he wanted. And that same, that same kind of, I'm not making an analogy here, but I'm saying the same kind of pressure is on Trump's minions to, to rehearse. They're rehearsing. And the way you get a job is to show that you will work toward Trump. You will be just as extreme as he wants. And by the way, he has said again and again, Article 2 of the Constitution permits me to do anything I want. Okay, folks. Well, 
Jack has brought to us today the idea of a cacistocracy or government by the worst. So as always, we definitely want to hear from you. Do you think it's possible that a cacistocracy could uh, come into power if Donald Trump wins the next presidential election? Definitely let us know. So and you, I want you to do that by the on-point Vox Pop app. And if you don't already have it, just go to wherever you get your apps and look for On Point Vox Pop and send us your thought or thoughts, actually, about uh, today's episode of The Jackpod. And I want to once again assure people we listen to every single one of the messages that come in. And Jack, we get more and more specifically in response to The Jackpod Every week. And so when we come back in just a minute, I've got several listener thoughts about your analysis from last week about the uh, circus that led to the ouster of former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. So we'll get to those comments in just a moment. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com onpoint. That's Indeed.com onpoint. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. We're back. Uh, So, Jack, of course, last week I begged you to give us your analysis of uh, the ouster of Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker. And uh, just to remind folks, we had uh, all of the Democrats voted to remove Kevin McCarthy, along with eight House Republicans, which is essentially how he lost the job. And the effect was it paralyzed the House just after the House kicked the can 45 days down the road to fund the government. So there's a lot that Congress needs to do, and it cannot get it done right now. So you can imagine, Jack, tons of people wanted to tell you what they thought uh, about your analysis. Um, And what's interesting to me is we got a lot of similar messages that were actually focused on blaming Democrats for their role in bringing the House to a standstill. So here's a few of them. This is Mike Ripley from Marlboro, Massachusetts. They sided with the the chaos caucus, as you call them. They gave, empowered them. They legitimized what they've done. Uh, they are culpable for this just as much as anybody. I'm just flabbergasted that no one's talking about the Democrats and what they've done to uh to 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 throw the house in chaos like this. Okay, picking up on that thought, we have John Irvin from Los Angeles and he thinks Democrats may have made a miscalculation in helping to oust Kevin McCarthy. I think it's very disturbing 
that we can have a small minority of people obstructing what their party wants to do, not to mention what the entire nation would like to do. And by the way, uh, the Democrats all voted not to support him. Okay, uh, what? be careful what you wish for because we don't know. They may get a situation that's better for them, but they also may get one that's worse. Okay, Jack, is it time to put the Democrats on the hook here? Uh, well, let's let's begin with Mike Ripley. Uh, you know, the Democrats didn't trust uh, uh, <laughs> Kevin McCarthy, and they cited a litany of broken promises he had made, notably his agreement with President uh, Biden in the wake of the debt ceiling showdown on, a, on, a, on, on what the budget would be and on moving forward. Within days, he broke that agreement because of pressure from the far right. And, you know, even at the last, there might have been a chance that some Democrats could have crossed the aisle. Jerry Conley of Virginia, Democrat, said there was perhaps a chance. But then uh, Speaker McCarthy on the Sunday, here's the chronology on the Saturday night, the but, you know, the government budget is approved for 45 days. We have the stay of execution. Sunday morning, we have uh, Kevin McCarthy goes on uh, television face the nation, and he blames the the shutdown crisis on the Democrats. And uh, Margaret Brennan, the host, says, what? But the Democrats all voted to keep the government open, except for one who uh, who voted because he didn't like the cutting of the funds to Ukraine. Uh, uh, how, how can you say that? Well, that tape of uh, the, the colloquy between Margaret Brennan and, um, and, and, and Kevin McCarthy, the Democrats had a caucus the next morning and, the, and they played that tape before the caucus and everybody voted to, to throw McCarthy out, partly influenced by this, uh, this, 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 this televised blunder of inordinate proportions. Jerry Conley thought there might have been a sliver there. But boy, that interview foreclosed it. Hmm. Okay. And then what about uh, what John said about be careful what you wish for, Democrats? Well, yes, you know, you can you can see the cat, you know, Steve Scalise, after all, uh, who's the uh, who's one of the candidates for a speaker. Uh, he uh, years ago, he famously or infamously uh, said, I'm David Duke without the baggage. This is at a, a, a white supremacy rally. On the other hand, he's received strong support from Jim Clyburn, the dean of the of the House Black Caucus and uh, and and a strong endorse, endorsement in the past from Cedric Richmond, a black former black congressman from Louisiana. So he that I, I think that qualifies the Ku Klux. I mean, the yeah, given that David Duke was, after all, the grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, that may somewhat qualify uh, his objectionableness on that ground. And Jordan, of course, Jordan does speak much more for the Furiosos in the Republican ranks. Um, and he and he, it would be, a, you know, a bad day for sure if he were a speaker for the national interest. But, uh, you know, it would be a marginal difference from Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy was the, Char the, the, the Charlie McCarthy, the puppet of the hard right 
it, with with Jim Jordan, uh, you'd get the voice of the hard right. Not so not so different. Mm. Jack, I just feel like I'm just like one of those dumb average Americans who yearns for a political system where we have a better choice than, you know, the devil that you know or the lesser of two evils. It's, I'm, I'm getting whittled down to that. Oh, man. <laughs> but so let's turn back to our more uh, thoughtful listeners who uh, they really do carefully tune into what you say because um, just to remind folks, last week Jack's analysis uh, was really about those eight Republicans who voted to ouster uh, McCarthy and how their votes mirrored the people or the desire of the people in their districts. So that's something that Juliet in Mount Rainier, Maryland, picked up on, Excuse me, especially the uh, comments you had, Jack, about Congressman Tim Burchett and how the makeup of his district may have been the reason why he voted to get rid of McCarthy. It was really interesting to hear Mr. Beatty's analysis about how the person um, in government uh, is actually representing his district in the sense that he's not just here to, you know, I mean, he's here to just cause chaos, but it's not just his own chaos. It's actually like his um, constituents chaos. I love how she refers to as Mr. Beatty. We should we should use the honorific with you every time, Jack. Uh, but when uh, when uh, Juliet went on, though, um, she actually turned her attention towards the Democrats again and wants to hold them accountable for the dysfunction in the House. Why did Democrats also vote to oust him? And like it wasn't eight people who got him out. And that's like what's very frustrating to me is like, so do Democrats think it's all going to be better now that they voted to oust Kevin McCarthy? Like, is that what they think? And why is it going to be better? Right. He he worked with y'all to stop the government shutdown, which is what we wanted. And then you're just like, yeah, we're going to vote for you out. Meanwhile, people are like, oh, Donald Trump is going to be the speaker and he endorses like Jim Jordan or whoever. And it's like, I don't like what are y'all doing, Democrats? Like you are part of this picture, too. So, Jack, I mean, we can do sort of the uh, the political analysis. You just gave us that a couple of minutes ago uh, about the position Democrats found themselves in. So I want to ask you something a little bit different. When um, Americans like Juliet and the others we heard from today look at the numbers, right, there's that number of like every Democrat voted uh, against McCarthy plus eight Republicans. Um, this conclusion that they're coming to about Democrats are holding some water f uh, for the chaos in the House, too, right now. But, like, I feel like they're missing a point here in terms of how these uh, speaker votes actually work or how they work given, you know, today's divided Congress. Yes, I think that that's applying. They're applying um, <clears throat> uh, Juliet was applying a, a, a measure that perhaps fit an ideal moment of the Cold War era when there was a kind of amity and concord and, you know, uh, even as late as the 1980s with Chip O'Neill and the Republican leaders of the time, they, they you know, you could imagine some uh, inter-party uh, uh, inter uh, cooperation. Not now. It's changed. You know, it is interesting. Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader, in a Washington Post uh, op-ed, he said that, you know, there's a way now to have a bipartisan coalition that would move the House forward in just the way that I think Juliet wants. 
Uh, and he said that all, they, all that has to be done is that five or six or whatever it is, Republicans need to come over and vote uh, with the Democrats on changing House rules so that the Hastert rule, which is the rule the Republicans have been operating under, under which they will not bring a measure to the floor unless it can pass with all Republican votes. Uh, Jeffrey said we can get rid of that rule and we can bring bipartisan measures to the floor and we can have a bipartisan majority that would essentially isolate and perhaps neutralize the ultras on the of the Freedom Caucus and the like. What do you say, Republicans? Why don't you do it? And he said that they made overtures on this ground even while McCarthy was there, but they were spurned, turned down. Oh. So. Yeah, that's his case. Okay, well, you know, and also I just want to add one last thing to state the obvious here. uh, Kevin McCarthy agreed to that rules package that would allow a single member of Congress to bring a a removal vote to the House. So Republican doing that to himself. And then the person who brought that vote to the House was a Republican, right? Matt Gates. So it's just we are in an era and I mourn this fact, but we are in an era where each party definitely looks at the other and says, we're not going to do anything to help save you from yourselves. And I think that kind of explains part of it, too. But, um, Jack, I'd like to actually end on a more positive note, and that is um, give us a teaser, a teaser for what you're going to do next week. I want to talk about the question on the fitness of presidents to serve, colon, is Biden senile? Is Trump crazy? <laughs> I was looking for something positive, but you're just going straight to the realist analysis for, for fitness to serve as president. But it's a really important question, Jack. And so I look forward to hearing your analysis of that in the next Jackpot. Jack Beatty, thank you so much. Thank you. Meghna Chakrabarty, this is On Point. 